welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show in that we will be discussing a subject that we have discussed a number of times on A Better World, which is cycles, time cycles, life cycles. We've had in the past mainly the scholar David Katzmeyer, who will be joining us today in the roundtable. We've also patched in from New Zealand scholar and scientist Ray Tones, who has been studying this subject for decades. In fact, one of the interesting comments that Ray has made is this, quote, The universe, believe it or not, is nothing other than a giant musical instrument with a very special but predictable pattern of harmonically related oscillations which determine the structure of everything from galactic clusters to subatomic particles. Although this theory is probably called the harmonics theory, it may also be alternatively known as the Big Bang Theory. I like that. End quote. David Katzmeyer has discussed on these airwaves a number of times his beautiful work involving something called calorhythms, which is his own self-designed understanding grown out of a certain epiphany he had about the nature of such things. And he will be sharing some of those thoughts with us as well. So it's with great pleasure that I invite both on to A Better World today to discuss. Just to say, uh, we're patching Ray in from New Zealand, and I'm hoping that uh, he is on the air now with me without a problem. Ray, are you there? Are you there? No. Uh, Dave Katzmeyer, are you there? Yeah. Yes, I am, Mitch. Excellent. So you found your way in and through. Yes. Okay, good. And it doesn't look like we have Ray on just yet. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Uh, let's see if we can. Um, uh, would you be able to send him that that uh, a link that might yes. help him do that? I just that sent him a Skype message, and I will send him the link as well. That's great. Great. Okay, very good. And he'll be joining us momentarily. And in the meantime, while Ray is joining us, after all, he's coming from quite a distance, a uh, further just frame of the subject of cycles, it happens to be that right now we have just passed the winter solstice of 2015, and we are heading headlong into 2016, according to our standard calendar measurements. And, of course, we've talked about the Mayan calendar and other calendars here on The Better World. So we remember that our system of counting is only one of numerous systems. Uh, one of the more uh, closer ones at hand is the Jewish calendrical system which is not the same. It's lunar-based, not solar. And uh, there are others in our midst uh, that are similar. 
So it's interesting just to take a moment to reflect on the distinctions and contrasts between systems and the way they configure and measure the passage of time. What we take so for granted as the way is really only one of numerous ways that we have had access to over the millennia, quite honestly. Dave, would you be able to uh, respond to that? And welcome to a better world. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yes. would you be able uh, to weigh in on those comments? Yes, thank you for mentioning uh, where we are at the solstice. It's a good way for us to think that there are seasons in everything. You know, we can really understand the seasons of the year. We can look at, there have been many studies of, called the seasons of our lives. Uh, when we look at many studies of world history, we can see perhaps there are seasons of great magnitude going on in the world. And now that we're studying subatomic physics, we are finding that there are common things, such as seasons even in the life of subatomic particles. All things great and small obviously move in cycles, uh, but we don't want to put ourselves in the way as the viewer. We want to be objective, and one of the ways to do that, as you mentioned, is to realize there are many different ways at looking at the same thing, to look, see what everyone else has seen, and to think what no one else has thought. And ironically, when we do that, we will find that there is a commonality between the studies that have taken place in different regions, cultures, and time, and that we find that we're often looking at the same thing and giving them different names, and the same universal truths show up as principles, as axioms, as we study the world of cycles within us and around us. Absolutely, absolutely. I like to point out, that our lives are so much governed, no matter what the calendar, there is the biorhythm, which is a cycle in itself, and the, the life cycle of every cell inside us has its own. You know, skin cells have one cycle, bone cells have another, blood cells have yet another, and, uh, you know, it's interesting just to see that we ourselves are literally embodying cycles of different magnitudes and amplitudes and durations all the time. So far from foreign, they are utterly, completely, biologically part of our daily existence. I mean, even the inhalation and exhalation is a cycle, as is uh, the menstrual cycle, etc., as you were saying, your, your comment. Absolutely. And an irony that comes up, Ray's going to bring in a lot of hardcore scientific data when we get connected. Uh, he has a brilliant intellect in the various sciences uh, and the historic references that have been done in the study of cycles over time. Uh, I'd like to segue that into more allegorical studies sure. uh, and touch upon the vague in order to be more precise. An irony that comes up in the studies of self-realization and yoga is the wise ones tell us realize yourself your purpose is to realize yourself and then every now and then somebody will ask well wait a minute isn't that 
selfish realization, not self-realization. If what about what's going on in the world? What about uh, humanity? What about all of us? What about the collective unconscious, the collective conscious, the newer spheres, and everything? The herd mentality. Let's be social and everything like that. And then they say, understand yourself, realize yourself, and then voila. When you do, that's when you get it. It's like getting a joke that when you understand yourself, you understand your neighbor. It takes one to know one. And when you understand yourself, you can understand not only the people that you meet, but you can understand the society in which we live. We opened up with saying how cycles and seasons are common in all things great and small, from astronomy down to subatomics. Well, um, this self-realization allows us to understand society that we can think of as a person. You can think of a country as a person. You can think of a country existing for years, and those years are like days to the nation. Uh, and when we understand that there is a cosmic thread going through everything, uh, what is great is small, that there is a holographic universe that moves in cycles. And so you mentioned those cycles in our bodies, understand that, and you might understand why we're driving red sports cars or wearing gray flannel suits. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, that was very interesting. By the way, just to, uh, on a, a little aside, uh, Ray is knocking at the door of our show trying to get in and uh yes. maybe you could offer him a little logistical support. I am I'm Skyping him after all he is on the other side of the planet but uh, we're in an interesting time cycle right now which allows us to speak directly as though we were seated in the next room yeah. or across the table with someone right. who happens to be about 10,000 miles away we were just speaking just prior to the show so we know that the lines are working. Fiber optics are in place. Uh, so it may take another uh, few moments to uh, yes. work that out, Dave. So I appreciate it. I'll take a yeah, moment. He's trying to get in. He's, we're communicating right. by text. Yes, exactly. Very good. So thank you for your patience, our dear audience. We love you and appreciate Patience is one of the great virtues, um, especially at a time like this. Anyway, to pick up, you know, one of the subjects that uh, Ray has dealt with rather extensively, as well as uh, Dave Katzmeyer has, is looking at the cycles as they show up in history. And there are a few different ways of mapping that. In fact, Dave Katzmeyer, you know, you and I met at essentially a cycles workshop that was offered at the time in 1992, I believe it was, by Terrence McKenna at the Open Center on Spring Street in Soho, New York City, the Big Apple. And at that time, uh, Terrence, uh, Ponce Extraordinaire, as he is oftentimes called, who uh, wrote a book with Rupert Sheldrake and others, um, a man of immense learning and scholarship who was on A Better World TV, actually, in the mid-90s as well, uh, had something called the Time Wave Zero. 
And in that theory and software program, he took his own very imaginative um, formulation of novelty in history. And he essentially laid it on top of the timetables of history and came up with what was a very interesting um, relationship between history and his ability then to predict a new novel event in future. And what was interesting, Dave, is that it appeared that by the end of the workshop, your algorithms understanding may have been more thorough and complete than Terrence's own. Do you want okay, to come? Can you still hear me? I switched microphones. Are we still connected, Mitch? Oh, yes. Okay. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you very clearly. Yes, in that 1993 talk that he gave in New York City, you and I were both attending, and it was quite interesting when he was studying the I Ching and the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching, uh, which he arranged with a certain sequence called the, the King Wen sequence. There are two main yeah. sequences for them. One is uh, putting them in what would be numerical order. That's something we could talk about. And the other one is the King Wen sequence, uh, very commonly used. So um, with that, he, was talk he put together a fractal line uh, a timeline of history. What what he did is he looked at the rate of change between each one of those hexagrams as you go from one, two, three, um, giving them numerical value and saying when you go to the next one, change by four, change by three, change by one, whatever. Uh, he then devised a map and made a graph of it that he blew up and put within that map of going up or down depending on what the rate of change was for each one. Uh, he overlaid on that the same map again, smaller, repeating many times within it, and then again. So, in other words, he created a fractal rate of change map of the I Ching based on the King Wen sequence and then put it up on a big chart that we could look at and drew a timeline of centuries across that chart. And then he was then pointing out, okay, this is where we had the bubonic peg. This is where we go in. We had World War II. We had, uh, we had create creative time in the Baroque era, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said, look at where this chart is. Now, how could we have a chart that uh, seems to have common positions for what we could call common uh, similar periods of history when this is coming from something that's at least 6,000 years old? In other words, there's an isomorphic existence and things all, all things manifest. Isomorphic literally means change form. These things are in, in, encoded in nature and decrypted through our understanding, but yet they are replete throughout nature. They are just in different forms. Uh, there was a great book called Goodell Escher Bach written by Hofstetter, and he mm -hmm. would, did interesting studies where he would take a cantata by Bach and then look at geometric patterns in a drawing by Escher. And he would say, look, here's how they are in common. In other words, <laughs> Escher was actually so much composing a cantata just like Bach, just by the way he laid out his picture. And wh why would they use these patterns? Well, uh, mathematics rules the universe, math and music, let's say, let's be romantic. And then he would bring in uh, the mathematical formula of Godel and said, surprise, 
here's the same pattern if you interpret this mathematical formula. All right, that may seem a little bit complicated, but the fact is that if you, Blake spoke of seeing the entire universe in a single grain of sand. How could that be? How can you have uh, the map work for a person's entire body from a single DNA molecule? Thank goodness for the the discovery of DNA, because now we can understand that isomorphic replications appear in holographic form in all things great and small. The pattern of everything is in anything. Realize yourself, and you can realize someone else. And when you do that, you can realize the world around you. And when you do that, you're going to find that all things are moving in rhythm. And that is why the study of cycles of anything can lead you to understand things and see them in a different light because you know what time it is. What does that mean? You know what season it is. If you're a farmer, that's important. Are you going to plant or are you going to harvest? You're not going to plant in the fall, are you? But what if you could understand that there are seasons in the time you live in? What if you knew that you're not to invest at the end of a trend? Well, how do you know when it's going to end? Well, because there are patterns, there is periodicity in the tides of influence. If you're going to sail the ocean, you need to know the tides, the winds, and the water currents. We can do that with the human endeavors in which we live and understand this. Look at where we are right now. We have a confluence of change in many ways. We have climate change that's going on. And we're seeing patterns that uh, geological evidence has shown has, hasn't been like this for a long time. Um, by long, I mean thousands of years. And uh, we all, and in some cases, millions. We also find that culturally, the boundaries of nations seem to have come down, and we are just changing the world that we knew 50 years ago isn't quite the world that we know today. There are power shifts from east and west. Now they're west to east. They're also north and south in the hemisphere. And this has all happened before. An important message that I would like to say to anyone listening to this program is not so much the details of how we can understand the periods within us and without us. But to understand this, that sometimes a crisis is due. It is time, like when there is springtime or fall time in the world, there are uh, torrents and hurricanes all around the equator. Uh, they come when they're due, but they pass as quickly as they come. When we look at the crisis that we're in now, so many nations are at war, so many bits of fight. We've got virtual nations uh, where attacks being take, taking place by people who are united by an ideology rather than being uniformed soldiers of a particular country that might go to predetermined battlefields to duke it out with each other, as happened in the 17 and 1800s. What we're having is an upheaval, but it is true. When you understand that all of this is a natural process of change, you can understand that there's a difference between responding to something and reacting to it. Know that sometimes what looks like the deck being shuffled in a difficult way might actually be the birth pangs of a new era leading to something better. Mm, beautiful. 
Beautiful. If you would, just for uh, practicality's sake here, reach out to our uh, dear friend and colleague, Ray Tomes, again, Dave. That would be great. Uh, and I'll just uh, dance a little bit on top of what you were just saying, um, peppering, if you will, and uh, certainly with questions, since that's uh, what <laughs> is my best role here. Uh, although I, I would like to say that, you know, everyone has, and I was sort of suggesting this before, has a very deep organic relationship to cycles, as you were saying. Uh, the farmer knows when to plant and when to harvest, and this is a uh, an essential and uh, literally a uh, an organic understanding that we all have of when to rise and when to sleep. These are the obvious patterns and cycles that we're most familiar with. One of the interesting um, areas that you and Ray have gone into is understanding uh, the cycles of such things as war and the upsurge, say, of violence on our planet or in respective areas, regions of the planet. Uh, you have a greater understanding through the study of cycles about climate cycles of extreme weather, of extreme heat, of extreme cold, the subject that we refer to commonly today as climate change. While we understand that humans are playing a, an essential role in the, let's say, the um, acceleration of a what is otherwise a natural process, um, perhaps in both directions, both extremes, uh, there is the natural cycle of heating and cooling as we have in every aspect of our lives, including in our body, of heating and cooling. So that part shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone and we have the understanding of history and geology to know that our planet has gone through these intensity of cycles with the parts per million in our CO2 levels going, as Ray was saying before, from uh, 2 and 300 up to 6,000. And life on Earth sustained even under such conditions. Not human life, but life. So I'm not worried so much about the planet continuing or much sentient life, probably especially cockroaches, continuing long after us. I'm a little preoccupied with the status of the human species in light of extreme weather patterns <laughs> and other mammals, much as other primates. So it's interesting to look at the uh, study of cycles in this way of looking at, of course, I referenced, you know, the study of, of uh, cycles in the human body, but also there have been extraordinary studies. And if we can get Ray in here, uh, he wanted to share with us the breakthrough work of, of Dewey, which he was a consultant to, uh, was it, President Hoover, I'm forgetting right now. Yes, uh, during the Hoover administration, he was appointed 
to as the head of economic research uh, for the administration to understand how the Great Depression began. And yeah. all he did yeah. was go in and start studying. This is Edward R. Dewey, uh, founder of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, which began publishing Cycles magazine in 1950. And they essentially continued until 1998. Uh, effectively, uh, the organization disbanded after that. There was uh, a brief revival um, uh, after that, uh, that went on, this was not connected with the previous leadership. However, they were connected to the archives. Uh, uh, there are some people that consider that a separate entity all of itself. Uh, however, um, what Dewey was doing is he uh, went up to in Canada in the 1930s to what was called the Matamec Conference, where he was meeting with other economists and so forth uh, and study students of natural history or researchers of such. And they were looking at uh, the population growth of snow leopards and uh, other behaviors of wildlife. And he was also uh, comparing this with data on uh, economic changes. And strangely enough, he was finding synchronies in these cycles. In other words, what he yeah. would find in one thing, like uh, animal population, and the changes he would find in economic indicators were moving at the same time, in the same direction. And he was saying, what the heck do these things have to do with each other, uh, when there really wasn't a direct economic connection to the different things? So uh, what, the synchronies is what led him to study cycles. He wasn't looking for cycles. He was only looking at what things were doing. This led him to discover that there's cycles and so many other things, and that's how he founded the Institute. Now, so, you mentioned... So, now, what, was, what was President Hoover doing with that information? What was the interest he had as President of the United States with this information? He wanted... Uh, to try to help the economy. Uh, we really were hit by such a surprise, you know, in October of 1929, when we had an unprecedented drop in stock prices that just wiped out so many people and led to a depression um, for, for years, as we know. And so we were all left to say, what the hell happened? We didn't know what hit us. Yes. And uh, so that's why he was appointed, uh, you know, to try to find this out. He never was looking for cycles. He was a, he was an economist, period. And the study of the cycles, uh, the study of the situation, the accumulation of data, the analysis, the comparing of data with other researchers is what revealed, the cycles revealed themselves to him. So interesting. So interesting. We are speaking about cycles, life cycles, time cycles, as they apply to economics, to the human body so far, and understanding sort of the nature of the universe itself from the point of view of cycles. And this is uh, Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World Radio. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live. And if you don't yet get our newsletter, just visit www.com. A better world.tv. That's a better world.tv. It's a lot of work to create a better world, folks. You know it. But every week we are on it. Actually, every day. 
And we also, through that newsletter, uh, announce who will be our guest on A Better World Television, which is aired every Monday evening at 7 p.m. at this point, Eastern Standard Time, aired uh, in Manhattan at 7, but also at that same website, abetterworld.tv. You can tune in from anywhere because it's simulcast slash webcast. And it's right there at the top where it says, want to watch? Click here. So uh, today we are going over the subject and exploring their round table. Uh, right now, it's not exactly round. It's more like a, a dyad. <laughs> but uh, we're looking for our third member here while we're talking. And that's Ray Tomes. Uh, psychoscientist and scholar who's been on the subject for honestly some 40 to 50 years. He's uh, a remarkable scholar and uh, we are doing everything logistically in cyberspace to bring him on and on board in the roundtable with uh, Dave Katzmeyer and myself behind the scenes. It's, um, it's uh, not going smoothly because the cycles aren't necessarily with us. The cycles are, but the force is not. Something is not aligning in cyberspace. So please know that we're working on it. And in the meantime, we will continue with the subject because understanding cycles gives us tremendous leverage, Dave, into um, interfacing with our world if we can have some understanding. For instance, of economic cycles. And I know that that was one of your first impetuses to get involved and then start studying this. There has to be some kind of inherent uh, cyclical logic, if you will. Um, logic looks like a straight line, but in this case, it's happening in circles. And um, to uh, the stock market, for instance, to the uh, ebbs and flows of economic cycles, both locally and internationally. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Well, we were talking about the stock market crash of 1929, which is what led Hoover to appoint Gerard Dewey, uh, his chief economist, to research that. Um, yet I believe that the crash of 1929 was cyclically due because of the internal rhythms of the United States. Earlier on, we were talking about cycles are in all things great and small, and that we can think of a nation as being like a person, as having a mind, heart, and a body, as having a character of a people, as having a lifespan. German philosopher Oswald Spengler used to talk about civilizations having a lifespan that go through the stages that we go through in life, that having birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, senescence, and eventually death, and that's the end of the civilization. Goodbye, uh, Soviet Union. Goodbye, Rome. Goodbye, ancient Greek. Uh, yet the people continue to live on like cells in a great organism. As Guru Maharashi, Mahesh Yogi used to say, we are all like cells in a great organism. And so, <laughs> exactly. Well, well also at that like moment, cells. I would need to add uh, a famous book based on the work of a psychologist, Daniel Levinson, called mm -hmm. The Seasons of a Man's Life. And that goes back to, I believe it was the uh, early 70s. It became a bestseller, actually, if I remember correctly. 
and that again had to do that was followed by the season of a woman's life but it has to do with the understanding of that relationship between um cycles and stages of human development from of course infancy through thank you for mentioning that and that book was very popular because it resonated we recognize something to be true about that well just as we can recognize the seasons of a person's life we can recognize the season of a nation's life what yes if you can see seasons in a year you can see seasons in your life you can see seasons in your country but these seasons take much longer than the seasons of our life because greater institutions are slower to change. I mean, after all, we talk about someone being in their autumn years or we talk about a May-December romance. We're, we're equating the entire lifespan of a person as being equal to four seasons, yet a person lives longer than one year and the tropical seasons happen in one year. Well, it's the same pattern, even grander, for a human being. Now, if a bunch of human beings get together uh, and form a nation, there's a fractal relationship. Uh, and what you have is an entity. Uh, how can you have boundaries if it doesn't exist as an entity? How can it be given a name and a flag and have a constitution and a, a congress and conscript and uh, military and, all, and an economy? It is a thing. And, and it culture. is a macrocosm. Yeah. So if you build a, a house out of bricks, you have a brick house. If you build a nation of people, you have an entity with a mind, a heart, and a body, and seasons within it. Grander scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And I know a lot of the work that you've done in Calorhythms has really to do with looking at um, both U.S. history in particular, and then you've gone to you know the larger... Uh, fractal relationships of uh, going outward to, you know, internationally. Let's, get, let's go big because we're not going to go home. If you can get a, a seasons even bigger within a person and then bigger still because they're the seasons of your nation, what now about the seasons of the world? Now we have gone into cycles that take hundreds of years to turn. But earlier on, we were talking about how sometimes the position of the cycle says it's time for a crisis. And what's happening, I believe, right now is that we, uh, most of us, were born when the world cycles were in one position, which they'll stay in a certain phase for a long time, but are now seeing that it's in a crossover point when it goes into the next phase. And it's that transition it, that you have a lot of trouble. Look at it this way. If you're walking down the street and you're going down a very long block, you can walk along that block and it's all peaceful. You don't have to cross the street. But when you get to the end of that block, and in order to get to the next block, you have to go through an intersection. And that intersection is like the transition between phases of time. And the transition that we're in now in the world cycles is taking us from a period that can last for you know, more than 100 years and into the next phase. And that always creates turbulence. And look at the wars that are going on and the upheaval, the changing, the power shifts. But it's coming when it's due. And it has to in order to bring in a new order, not a new world order per se. It's just that things are changing. 
Exactly, exactly. Now, you, among other things, have used calorithms to uh, predict presidential uh, wins over the course of the last several cycles, election cycles, I know. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, from 1980 to the present, I I got all but one right. Um, and uh, No, no, the last one. No, I, I predicted that uh, incumbent President Obama was going to win. Uh, but in 2008, I predicted that Romney was going to win. Um, and it has to do uh, oh. mostly with how they are running their campaigns and what is the appeal. Uh, sometimes some of them have a appeal for strength of the economy, strength of the nation, and strength of the defenses. And sometimes people have an emotional appeal. I believe in a place called hope. And others will have an intellectual appeal, and he'll appeal to your reasons. Uh, John F. Kennedy is a great example of that. And um, so based on that, are they appealing to the mind, the heart, or the body? Where are the cycles for each of these? Yeah. Because each – aspect of a person, mind, heart, or body, is moving in rhythm, and each aspect of a nation is doing the same. And uh, so I've got, you know, count how many elections there are. I missed one. Uh, I think Hurricane Sandy had a lot to do with that. Romney was saving his pitch for the end game, playing it safe, appealing to the middle, and was going to come on strong in the end. Um, and then Hurricane Sandy came, and uh, Governor Christie and President Obama did a fabulous job of working together to help the people that were in distress. And that got all the headlines, and Romney said, I should have I should have peaked earlier. Um, and boom, he was um, – uh, uh, so that was that. And our, our people had a good feeling about uh, incumbent President Obama. That had a lot to do with it too. So um, all of that, you can analyze that. But anyway, um, it's not just predicting presidential elections. You can predict trends in clothing. Uh, you can look at a movie trailer and pretty much have an idea – that's going to do good. That one isn't. <laughs> so based on based on the uh, intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual cycles currently in place. Right. First of all, if you would describe that, and then based on that, if you cast your eye, oh, I don't know if I want to do that at the current possible candidates. Unless we look as far over at the Green Party, then I start to feel better. But uh, maybe it's just too early in the cycle to say anything. But maybe you could characterize based on the current cycles. Okay. Uh, would you like to ask me a question? What type question? of person would be most suitable? Oh, okay. Um, we're looking at the 2016 election. We are. Uh, Yes, reason. Reason is the most likely to appeal. Um, now is not the time to uh, come on and have emotional appeal for your for your campaign. Now is not the time uh, to overemphasize uh, strength of the nation. Only uh, accept that you must uh, cover the defensive requirements that are upon us in this emergency. Uh, what is would be the strongest candidate is one that gives clear, simple uh, reasons why to vote for them. Not that so is they, that because the emotional, there's an emotional low right now and an intellectual high? Correct. Okay. That is correct. 
See, um, the cycle of the mind, the cycle of the heart, and the cycle of the body, they are in different positions because these cycles are of different lengths of time. They're not synchronized to each other. They just all start at the same time. So at sometimes uh, all can be high, all can be low, or you can have mixtures high and low and with all different combinations. And right now the person that comes forward with reason is going to. So right now I don't see uh, any strong front runner right now. I don't see anybody. Wait, is that your way of saying you don't see anyone with reason? Yeah, uh, people are are – not really coming forth and saying, these are my ideologies. These are my policies. This is the plan. This is my vision. There, uh, you know, and I could mention each one and say what their, their policy, uh, you know, what their appeal is. Um, but I would like to see a candidate that emphasis more on, on reason, not someone that is uh, trying to draw attention to themselves by uh, attacking a group or attacking another candidate or attacking a policy all right that you know there there are things that can be criticized here and here and here and here what i think um based on the cycles of time right now in the united states that people want to hear policy they are craving leadership and okay so this is interesting let me bring something else up here based on the fact that according to calorithms we are at an emotional low right now right. and a an intellectual high believe yep. it or not uh that's using the word intellectual very loosely <laughs> but that's okay um for the sake of this conversation that's okay um but um wh- where's the physical cycle low it's low now that went physical down in 2000 that's very interesting because Folks, just so you know, the physical cycle, having been a colleague and friend of David Katzmeyer for many years, I do understand a little something about calories, is the um, cycle of war. It's the cycle of the military. It's the cycle of brute force, which was at a high at the time, if I'm not mistaken, Dave, you'll correct me, of the entry to Afghanistan and certainly Iraq. It certainly so, was. The mind was obviously at an all-time low, and um, uh, so therefore G.W. Bush had a great appeal. I'm not going to say that now, but it's interesting, you know, from our from this point of view. So it's curious though because the subject of war and violence is utterly predominating the news cycles. Uh, whether it's domestic violence at home, the issue of of major racism, institutional racism, and all of that here at home leading to so much violence. And then you've got the, the international picture of war of Saudi Arabia against Yemen, about what's going on in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, you know, and ISIS. So... How do you explain there being a physical low when conversation is dominated by war talk? Because Mississippi did not attack Idaho. There are uh, cycles within a nation. There are cycles within other nations. But I'm looking at the cycles within every nation. But what all of the nations are 
are under the umbrella of world rhythms. And when world rhythms move, what will happen is as the world rhythms now are in a crossover point of crisis, you have nations all over within the world, each of which has its own internal rhythms, and the rhythms of us may differ from France, may differ from Uganda, may differ from India, and so on and on and on. We're all in different positions because we all were born on different days as nations, and so our cycles are all in different positions. But when the world cycle says it's time for a storm, it's not going to matter where your internal rhythms are. If you're part of the herd and you don't feel like running and the, and the herd says it's going it's because, you know, you had a busy day and you're ready to settle down and the, world, and the head says it's time to run, it's not going to matter. You're going to be affected by that. You're just not going to be up to it as much because of your own internal rhythms. Yeah, That's right. one way to look at it. Okay, I understand. I understand. So in light of all that you are seeing from a cycle's point of view, is there anything that uh, we should know? Yes. This is the birth pangs of a new era. The This is a strange and rare time. Great cycles lasting hundreds of years long. They go through highs and they go through lows. When a physical cycle started to rise up in the medieval times, it started and the intellectual cycle started to rise at those times, we had a renaissance. Uh, when the intellectual cycle of the world peaked, we had the Baroque era, and we had great writers, and we had uh, Bach, you know, and we had Descartes, um, and we had Shakespeare. Uh, when the emotional cycle was high, we had the Romantic era. And when it was low... We had the repressive Victorian era, because that's the difference between high and low. When the physical cycle of the world was high, we had the machine age, the industrial revolution, and might makes right. Guns, power, money. That's physical, baby. Now, <laughs> what's happening? We have, we have a situation. Now, every now and then, one of those cycles will cross from high to low and have a storm in the transition. It's like you're crossing from one block and going through a busy intersection to get to another block. Consider one block to be a high or a low, and the busy intersection is you're crossing over to the other, high or low. Okay. So that happens. You have a world crisis. And then, you know, if it's well, physical, you, you could have... When one is crossed, it's not when one alone is moving, but... When one is moving up and one is moving down and they cross at that, uh, no, that it's intersection? Any one of them individually crosses the midpoint. It's not at when oh. it's high that it's a crisis okay. or even when it's low and slow down to its minimum that it's a crisis. But for some reason, when it crosses what would be the equator between high and low, that is when we have a storm. For some reason, you end the day with a calamity and then you go into the sleep of the night and the low half. And when you come out of that, uh, you go through a calamity, and that's the birth of a new era. And so it's a disturbance in order to wake it up. And so it's, the, it's like the alarm clock. We have an alarm clock going on in the world. But here's what's interesting. 
Once we understand that there are cycles of hundreds of years long moving in the world, and we go on to understand that every now and then they're going to hit a period of crisis because it's due, consider this. These cycles are of different lengths, and we get different combinations of which ones are high and low at the same time. But every now and then, mathematically, what's going to happen is this. You're going to get two of the world cycles crossing over, heading their period of crisis and storm at the same time. That's mm-hmm. pretty rare, and it does and has and will happen. We're in one now. Oh, boy. And with that said, very beautifully, if I may say, uh, how would you um, gather a perspective that could help our audience and people um, stay the course with what's happening. Because let me say that with the emotional cycle being low, fear is being used uh, across the board as a means of stimulating activity, both Here's nationally and internationally. Yes. Uh, the positions of our, our cycles in the United States move over, let's call them tens of years to go through highs and lows, tens of years, up and down, up and down. Every nation, tens of years, up and down, different ones, the mind, the heart, and the body. We can measure this in decades. What's happening in the world? It's the same cycles again, affecting the whole world, but they're going up and down in terms of centuries up yeah. and down. So you can think of the changes in the nation like waves on rise, rising and falling tides of the world. Yeah. That's how you can look at that. Ours are much yeah. faster moving. Now, we're in an emotional low. But in the world, we, are, we have risen up out of the Victorian era. We have risen out of, out of the emotional bottom of the 19th century. To cross over, it's the emotional cycle right now that's crossing the midpoint horizon. The storm is happening now emotionally. And the intellectual cycle has also been rising up out of its low. And if you don't think it's been low, look at what we did to the planet in the last century and a half. Um, And while the physical cycle was high, build, create, and uh, but we didn't care, you know, about the consequences. We were very strong, but we're we're understanding how we hurt things. We're using our mind now. Okay, well, the intellectual cycle is crossing up high, and in the time of crisis, that's a world crisis happening at the same time as a world crisis. Mathematically, it's going to happen every now and then. And what happens? What does the emotional aspect of world society mean? What does the intellectual cycle of the asp- of the world mean? Emotionally, whether you're in compassionate times, a rise of feminine energy, uh, romanticism, um, beautiful arts, a colorful time, a musical time, all of these wonderful things uh, uh, tend to be more or less prevalent based on where the cycle is and more. 
Uh, and religion follows the emotional cycle more than anything else, more than the intellectual. It's the emotional cycle that has to do with the prevalence, the expansion, or the contraction of religion. Uh, as I said in the 1970s when I calculated the world rhythms and saw a crisis coming at this time, I said that we may have holy wars. Uh, now I don't use the word holy war. I use the word jihad because that's what it, we're hearing. Um, and and so I said it in English and someone else said it in Arabic. And um, that is because it is an emotionally turbulent time. Now, at the same time, the intellectual cycle is crossing up and going into a crisis of decision. And so what we're having is we are having fervent battles over ideological differences. Our, our hearts and our minds are in conflict at the same time, and we're clashing. Now, if I may editorialize on that, I want everyone to consider that when... Look at history and remember this. Often, you have country against country, soldier against soldier, unspeakable acts are committed. But it's not unusual for the grandchildren of those people who are fighting with each other to know each other as friends. I went and visited Germany. I went to Germany to see the Divine Mother Mira. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, fine. Oh, what are you doing? Could you have... When my dad went to Germany, and I'm very sorry that he had to, um, it wasn't to say, hi, how you doing? It was for another reason. It was the war. And I, I, it's a difference between uh, responding to a situation and reacting. And remember, time changes. There is no particular period of time where everything is balanced. And the balance comes over time. It's a homeostasis. You can think of change as a thermostat. Thermostat says it's too hot, turn off the heater. Too cold, turn it on. And it goes back and forth. You've got these sinusoidal waves through the triumphant braid of the mind, heart, and body, all moving in rhythm across sign, across time, moving in nations like waves and in the world like tides and in the uh, galaxy and so forth. Um, well, remember... Uh, Everything, if you want to see everything change, just wait. It will. <laughs> it is a changing, as Bob Dylan told us in the 60s. <laughs> yes. The times, they are a changing. I want to bring a thank you very much for that. That was beautiful. I really appreciate the insight uh, and the um, <clears throat> the distinctions of your way of looking which allowed you to predict uh, you know what you referred to as holy wars at this time period uh, yeah. based on the relationship of the cycles and, the, and their and their crossroads <clears throat> I want to just bring one other idea to the foreground here to the round table that, as I said, isn't that round right now. <laughs> but still, it's a good table. Uh, in heading toward a closing shortly, I do want to bring up the subject that while 
there are these cycles occurring that are sort of beneath the waves, if you will, to which we are all subject. There is also human will and endeavor and promises and commitments that exert their own momentum, just as a cycle exerts its own momentum. And it may be in alignment with the particular cycle at the time, or it may be contrary to it. Mm-hmm. If, it if it's in the flow of the cycle, intellectual, emotional, physical, or spiritual, yes. the outcome is probably going to be quicker and smoother and perhaps uh, larger, you know, more amplified. If it's against the cycle, if it's against the cycle, it will be commensurately slowed down. But could you talk to that so people don't feel that they are simply a function of a cycle that's so much bigger than them that their own ideation and sense of purpose, mission, passion uh, must go in accordance with the cycles as you've laid them out. That is such a good and an, an point. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, these concepts of cycles and observing, um, you know, as we were looking in a fishbowl. But you've just asked a question of the what's in it for me. How does understanding this uh, help me make decisions and do what I'm going to do in my life? If you know where we are in, in the cycles, you'll know that if when you see something happen tomorrow, we've looked at the past, we've analyzed the past just now. But if you know where we are in time, what happens after you hear this program? Do you see something when you see something, is it the beginning of a trend? Is it consistent with the trend? Is it moving with the current? Or is it something that is an aberration and will be short lived? Why? Because it is inconsistent with where the direction is because of what time it is. Now, I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, very important if you were playing the stock market. Back in 1987, we had a 500-point uh, drop uh, in uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average. Black and, Monday. Uh, yeah, 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 uh, in October again. Uh, but uh, that was that was horrendous. But here's what's interesting. Uh, in some ways of measuring the drop, you could say it even fell more in 1987 than it did initially in 1929. Okay. So mm-hmm. why didn't we have a crisis in 1987? Okay. Well, part of that is the government actually did have a lot of safeguards in there to protect us. Uh, surprise. Yeah, it's true. But that's not the big reason. Uh, the big reason was where were we in the cycles in 29 versus 1987? Let's look. In 1929, oh, yeah. in 1929, that well, it was a three-way high in the cycles for the United oh, States, which is why, high. really, mind, okay. heart, and body, it was the first time in the United States in which all three cycles peaked within a 10-year period of time during the Roaring Twenties. Hey, oh. get this. 
the first time all three cycles troughed after the revolution was the was in 1929 was in was in the 1930s and the great depression so they peak in the roaring 20s and they trough in the uh, great depression coincidence no now in 1929 two of those cycles ended their high by crossing down at the same time in the same year two one of them was cycles. physical you are and right possibly sir. emotional uh, the, uh, the emotional no, uh, the emotional made it worse. The emotional peaked in 1928. 1929, the emotional cycle was near the high, oh. while the while the physical cycle, which was driving durable goods and production, uh, went into crisis, and the intellectual cycle, influencing banking and commodities and funding and all these sorts of things, oh. that went into crisis as well. So you had we slipped on a banana peel while the emotions were high, and what did people do they overreacted they jumped from buildings uh they, they sold short and jumped from buildings they yep. oversold and they said it's going down sell everything sell everything now sell it quickly and that, um that was an when you have an emotional high at the same time an unexpected double crisis comes you're going to have a tendency to overreact but in 1987 no cycle was crossing over and so in 1987, we had a dip that proved to be an aberration, not part of the cycle's course. So what happened? We not only recovered, but the Dow Jones Industrial Average actually ended up by a few points by the end of the year. And so, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, get interested in these cycles, you can quickly learn to recognize them and understand them. There's some aspects of it that are easy to study once you have the map of time and that you know that these cycles affect this. They last so long. You can just see, look at a chart. It's like looking at a calendar, uh, and you will see where are we? What day is this? What month is this? What year is this in my nation and for the world? And you can look at the things around you. Is that consistent? Or is that going to be popular? Is that going to fail? Is the singer going to be popular or no? And so, um, you can see the tides absolutely. of time and understand. Based on this, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you for that historical perspective from a cycle's point of view. But let's just project future for a moment. Based on your understanding of the ebb and flow, the highs and lows, and the crisis points, the, the crossover points of these four main cycles. Uh, do you see the United States financially getting stronger, getting weaker, or remaining the same within the next, uh, let's look at a, uh, the next three to five year cycle, time period? Three to five years, uh, not getting stronger. Um, uh, as far as where we are, you know, um, uh, a strong nation has strong days and stronger days. And the strong days are the low and the stronger days are the high. We're getting, we're strong now. We're not stronger. We are, um, we're going to continue in decline economically. Um, and uh, for those of you who will remember this, I'm calling for a recession in 2020. But don't overreact to it, because what comes after that will be a rising tide in the nation. And there's wonderful times for opportunity. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if you're an, looking at it from the investment point of view, 
um, you know, not just caring for what happens to us as a nation, but if you're looking at it as an investor, it doesn't matter which way the, direct, the, the economy goes. What matters is that you know which direction it's moving. You make In advance, absolutely. No question about it, sure. And uh, that's one question. Another question is political. Uh, there are any number of um, types of momentum that have been started well, really a long time ago, and then I'd say strengthened with such things as the uh, Military Commission Act, the Patriot Act, then the NDAA, uh, which, you know, the, all of these things are tinkering with our foundation documents like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Uh, do you see the nation heading toward greater sense of democracy and democratic process or fascism? I see a death of individuality. And um, with that, uh, you know, the Military Authorization Act, um, the fact that uh, there was argued on Congress whether drones could be used to shoot a citizen if they saw it justified without going through a due process. Um, and uh, and so forth. Uh, the Reclamation Act that gives government the right to resources. If somebody collects rainwater on their own property, they might mm -hmm. be told they're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth. A lot of these things have happened in recent years. And what's happening is uh, we don't really have as many freedoms now as individuals as we did. And we are, there's a continuing trend for people to be identified by what group they're part of, and then uh, what those groups are grouped together in greater groups. Where there's more of a world conformity going on. Uh, the 20th century was a rugged individual. In America, we love to watch Westerns, the iconic Marlboro Man uh, on the horse uh, going off and making his way. But I, I'm moving us. I'm moving us into uh, the future now. I'm asking you to give what me. What we're a moving into now is that we are we are becoming more uh, group oriented. We're becoming more as a uh, you know the world is turning into a big Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> grouping together we're going to start unifying behind new standards and and setting new precedents on how we're going to do things we're going to be less nationalistic you asked about the economy of the united states in the next four or five years in the long term throughout the next century uh, i think that the united states will not be the world leader that's not an original prediction Gotta remember that every nation of Europe was at one time the world leader. That's right. And now they're just prominent nations. Uh, the United States, I I believe, is uh, going to continue to be a very important nation. Uh, but we're not, you know, it'd be like looking at Microsoft used to set the trends in computers. Period. Microsoft was the computer world synonymous. Not so anymore. Uh, that's what's happening to the United States. And what what time of type uh, time frame are you talking about? What time is the show over? Uh, it's happening every minute. It's continuing. It's uh, it's not a light switch. It's a continuing trend. Correct. Uh, we're going like that. Uh, of course, China and uh, what's very underestimated is India. Believe me, India is greatly underestimated by people outside of India. Yes. Watch India. 
Yeah. And I am expecting to see a power rise in Africa. Uh, you know, I mean, we have we have powers in Africa now. But what I'm looking at is that in the interactive world arena, I'm looking for it. I don't know which I don't know which nation it'll be. Uh, but I can identify India and China clearly because the intellectual cycle, the, uh, the Foundation for the Study of Cycles has observed that there's about a 500-year trend shifts of power between East and West. That coincides with the intellectual cycle that lasts in the world about 500 years. And what's happening now is the power is shifting back to the Orient. That where they tend to be uh, in a leadership position when the intellectual cycle is high. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what's interesting is, so that's the intellectual cycle crossing up to become high now. will continue in the, in the next couple of centuries. And we mentioned the emotional cycles doing the same thing. That brings us to India. India tends to be prominent during an emotional high. Now you're going to see India, China, they are the world leaders. Very interesting. Very interesting. Of course, these are things that one could observe through uh, looking. (laughs) Right. You know, having some sense of the relative positions economically, politically, socially, of these large nations, um, you know, and the way the stock markets are moving east, and this has been going on, honestly, for really for 25 years. It's not new, but as you said, it's a slow-moving train, you know. It's it's gradual. There's no light switch. Uh, you know you the future when you hear people say, no kidding. Everybody knows that. And you remember when you said it 30 years ago, people uh-huh. looked at you like the RCA Victor dog. What are you talking about? Exactly. And, uh, that you said? And... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Dave, listen, I want to just thank you so much for all of your uh, wonderful input and um, education about color rhythms in particular and cycles in general. And uh, it's with regret that we weren't able to patch in Ray Tomes, um, scholar and scientist on cycles that uh, Dave and I are both very friendly with. And we'll just have him back on another time when uh, we figure out <laughs> the way to plug yes, in. Uh, he, he typed me. We've been typing during this conversation. He believes that he's going to use a computer next time. Because he's traveling in New Zealand right now, he was trying to use a handheld device, and he couldn't get through with that. We believe he'll yeah, be able to get through exactly. time. Exactly. We'll do it again. But, David Katzmeyer, give your website, please, so people can tune in and learn more about your good work. Well, uh, the things that you heard me speak about uh, can be found on Colorhythms.org. That is spelled K-A-L-A Rhythms.org. But if I may mention Ray Tomes. Ray Tomes is my mentor, my senior. He's the world intellect when it comes to amassing uh, knowledge in cycles of all kinds. You can visit his website at CyclesResearchInstitute.org. Excellent. CyclesResearchInstitute.org. We were all gathered, folks, out in Albuquerque uh, back in 2009, I believe it was. Yeah. At a time, uh, it was a real intellectual high, I'll tell you that. I don't know what Calorhythm said, but we had that for sure. Uh, Ray, Dave, myself, and uh, Don Beck of 
Spiral Dynamics fame was there, um, and a number of other real leading thinkers about the subject of cycles, indigenous folks as well. It was really a rich collaboration uh, conference. And uh, so we will definitely have Ray on again. And Dave, thanks so much for standing in the way you did and uh, sharing with us so much beautiful work that you've been doing for so long. It's uh, wonderful to have you. Thank uh, you, Mitch. And if I may say in conclusion, the crisis that we are going through now is due, but the beautiful time that follows for a long era is also due. This crisis is brief, and the next era for the next couple of centuries is long, and it's a much better world. Hallelujah. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to bring that actually forward now. So, thank you again. I really appreciate that. That's very heartening to hear, truly. Our work is not in vain. It is not. Be faithful. Thank you, Mitchell Raven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dave. Dave Katzmeyer of Calorhythms. He's been a guest on A Better World Radio and TV numerous times over the years. So, just go to our website uh, and the radio archive and put in his name. That's K-A-T-Z-M-I-R-E, Dave Katzmeyer. And you can bring up several different shows spanning time, uh, no pun intended, and you'll be able to enjoy some of the richness and depth and breadth of his good work. This is Mitchell J. Rabin. I so appreciate your coming and tuning in to A Better World. That's so much of what we're all about here. And uh, please visit our website at www.abetterworld.tv if you want uh, consultations or coaching of any number of sorts, business coaching, communications, stress management. You'll find information about that at another website, www.abetterworld.tv. MitchellRabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N.com. And please send me your comments. I love hearing from you at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. And remember that we are a recently formed 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we sustain through your generosity and investment in creating a better world. So you are very much a part of allowing us, helping us stay present and moving forward with our media platform and growing it. So please be part of that solution and know that in these last days of December, you can get a tax deduction from any type of any size donation to a better world. For smaller ones, uh, say under $100, at our website there's a donation button. And for larger ones, just please contact me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net so we can handle it outside of a system like that. And uh, we have all sorts of benefits uh, to accrue to those who make donations. So, thank you again for joining, and this is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. 
And I look forward to seeing you all next week.